understanding His authority. As the Creator, He has a right to change things. Uh, my wife, has, the Lord has allowed her to write many songs. She is the Creator. She is the writer of these songs. Very small thing. Uh, she did not take nothing and make something out of it. She took something and made something out of it. Because the rules of music have been in effect in ages past. There's good music, there's bad music. She followed the rules of good music. She took the words that are already in our language and assembled them in a song. And, and over the years, we've had uh, different people call us up and ask for permission to record those songs and to uh, uh, use them in uh, a tape or a recording that they would sell. And whenever we give permission for them to do that, number one, we say, you cannot alter or change the song. You cannot make it contemporary in its style. Now, we're not going to sue somebody, but we, we want to, anyone honest enough to do that, we want them to understand that these songs were not written for you to do whatever you want with them. They were written to be done as they were originally designed, to be sacred songs, not to borrow things from the world to jazz them up or whatever you might want to call that, because that's the intent. Just a simple illustration. Jesus has, had will always have an intent in creation. He has a design. He has a direction. And as the Creator, we need to fit into His direction. If you, you turn on Joel Olstein and the self-help groupies and all of these people, and they're always out there telling you, you need to actualize yourself. You need to realize your full potential. The Bible already tells us what our full potential is. The greatest accomplishment we as human beings can reach is to give worship to the one true creator God. You know, that's why we put such an emphasis in the music program here. Andrew's up here waving them arms and and getting running out of breath and all of those things. There's a reason for that. He wants to encourage you to sing in worship to God. That is the highest level that we can attain to. Our, our worship is not just singing. Our worship is praying as well. If you go back to the Old Testament tabernacle, the closest you could get to the Ark of the Covenant was the golden altar of incense on the outside of the veil. But when Jesus cried out, it is finished, what happened to that veil? It was torn in two. Praying to God for the accomplishment of His will is true biblical worship. You say, well, how can I pray to God for the accomplishment of His will? First, pray to get saved. 
it's God's will that everyone would trust in Him. Will everyone trust in God? No. Jesus, in fact, said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. He said, many are going to try to get saved and won't be able to. Rich young ruler, the Pharisees, many, many people. And the Bible still talks about those that oppose themselves. It talks about many obstacles to true Bible salvation. Learning to pray for the things that God would have us to pray for. We, we, are, we are realizing our position to serve Jesus Christ in His body, which is the local church. I, I can't tell you which preacher said it first, but it's a sentiment that should be shared by every believer. I would not step down from being pastor of this church to be president of the United States. Because I am fulfilling the calling of God in my life. I would not step down from being a father to my children to fill any corporate position, no matter how much money there was involved. Because being a father is a job that God gave me. But is my job more important than your job because I'm the one that does the preaching? I want to challenge you. What good would be a preacher if nobody came to listen? That's kind of like if the tree fell in the forest and no one was there to hear it, would it make it? I mean, it's one of those silly questions. Yeah, it would still make noise. Honest. Really would. Even if no one was there to hear it, it'd still make noise. Because trees make noise when they fall. Preachers make noise when they preach. But if no one's willing to follow. If no one worshipped God through their tithes and offering, our church couldn't do the things that we do. Everyone's place is important. Because Jesus is our creator. Amen? I don't want to preach the last sermon over again, but I I want us to set up a foundation. And I want you to just listen to some verses here. John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is praying on his way to Gethsemane. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying, I want my disciples to be with me in heaven so they can see who I really am. Jesus said, I want them to know who I am. You know, we get... so used to praying to God that sometimes we treat Him like uh, what was that blasphemous shirt Jesus is my homie Uh, I'll tell you what I hope I never see another one of those Jesus is not my homie He is the Creator God 
it says that God loved him and glorified him before the foundation of the world, before anything was. Ephesians 1 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Not only was Jesus glorified before the foundation of the earth, God in his infinite wisdom and his knowledge knew who would be saved. I remember, some of you may remember, Bob Neblett attended our church for uh, several years. He's an older man, merchant marine, World War II, sailed the seven seas, literally. And he asked me, he said, why did God wait till I was 77 years old for me to get saved? He said, I lived a wicked life. He said, I could have been snuffed out at any moment. How, why did God keep me alive? I said, Bob, the only thing I can tell you is God knew that when you were 77 years old, you would trust in him. And he kept you alive. And he kept you safe till you reached that point where you would trust in him. That's a good God, my friend. And we can believe in the goodness and the love of God. 1 Peter 1.20 says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Have you ever just sat down and contemplated God's calendar? God's clock, God's timekeeping mechanism. In the beginning, He created. God spoke. Jesus, being the living Word, was the source of all creation. Everything that we see now was taken from nothing and formed into all the beauty and the glory of this creation. But if we understand our Bible correctly, creation was somewhere around 4004 B.C. If you take a a careful accounting of all of the genealogical tables of the book of Genesis, you go back 4004 years, according to Bishop Usher, uh, and he puts that as the date of creation. It, It could actually be the date of the fall. Uh, when sin came into the world and death began to reign in the human race, um, we're we're not sure what that reckoning is. But those are those are the timetables. So somewhere in that neighborhood of four thousand years before Christ, we're two thousand and eighteen years after. So a little over six thousand years of human history has. Uh, has gone, and yet it was nearly 4,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. And yet when Paul relates that, he says, in the fullness of time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I am not a big fan of being run by my watch. How about you? Yet I am. I want you to pray for us tomorrow morning. 
We are hoping to be on the road at 5 a.m. heading to Chicago. We've got to stop in Cleveland and drop off these beautiful kettle drums here. Uh, for I guess that's what I get for leading the junior high band uh, 30 years ago now. Yes. Uh, and uh, But uh, we're... Just pray that we will make, because we're, we're on a time schedule. Service starts at 7 o'clock. And uh, it would really be nice to be able to stop at the hotel room and shave and change clothes and do all those things before we show up at the church service. So uh, pray for us. We're run on a time clock. One of the most wonderful things about the week that we spent, the only day, that we had anything concerning time was Sunday because we chose to get up and go visit Brother Filion and we wanted to be on time for church. And we had to go through the border there at Canada and he looked at our passports. Now, you're not bringing anything to leave. And it was like, no, we're just coming on our own. We're visiting some friends here, visiting a church in... in uh, Quota cook, and I had to ask the guard how to pronounce it properly because it looks like quota cook, yeah, but it's quota cook. There we go. Now we'll get it right. I still, still mess it up. But what was nice was just not having to look at the clock. If you woke up at 8.30, the world hadn't fallen apart. If you woke up at 6 o'clock, you could get up and read or just go back to bed. I mean, it was just nice. You can't live like that all the time now, can you? It'd drive you crazy. Or everybody around you crazy, uh, more than likely. Uh, we are driven by time, but God waited all the way through time to manifest Jesus in Bethlehem's manger. One more verse. You can probably quote this one with me. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. If we're going to get to know about Jesus Christ, we need to study His interaction with human history. And that starts with creation and that gives Him His position of authority. But... Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem's manger. What did he say before Abraham was? I am. And then the the Pharisees, they knew what was going on. They picked up stones to stone him because he, being a man, was making himself God. But all Jesus was doing was telling the truth. Amen? Amen. And so, in the next few moments here, if we can, I want us just to work our way through. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, if you like theological terms, we would call this a Christophany, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Christ. This is Jesus Christ appearing in the Old Testament. And uh, in Genesis chapter 18, it did not happen extremely often. It did not happen with any regularity. Or, but there were several times, and we're not going to take time to investigate every possible time that Jesus could have shown up. Uh, otherwise, we would be here many 
many hours and we're not going to do that. We're going to look at four basic times where there is no doubt. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre as he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. So, here is Abraham. Uh, he is encamped in Hebron. Uh, this is south of Jerusalem. This is, was his main living place. This would be where... Uh, eventually, the cave of Machpelah would be purchased for Sarah's burying place. And, and uh, later on, Abraham would be buried and Isaac and Rebekah and Leah and Jacob would all be buried here in the cave of Machpelah in the environs or the area around the city of Hebron. The heat of the day, Abraham's just sitting in his tent doing what would be very nice to do in the heat of the day. Just sitting there and being still, not having to work. Uh, um, what was that? Friday morning, yes, we were in the, uh, trying to get the ceiling repair. And part of one of the things was somebody had to climb up into above the ceiling there between the roof and the ceiling and take apart some things. And that, uh, that was my job. And, oh, I tell you, uh, it, it's a lot hotter up there than it is in the rest of the building. And it was, it was uh, hot, sweaty work. And Abraham's just sitting there. And he looks, and all of a sudden, three men appear out of nothing. That gets your attention now, wouldn't it? I mean, in the plains of Hebron, he would be able normally to see someone approaching miles away, kind of uh, not as big but uh, as Kansas, but kind of like Kansas. So it says you can see your dog running away for the next three days. And, and so he would have had a, a clear field of, of view here. And as he's looking, he didn't see anybody walk up, but he saw three men standing by him. He said, whoa, wait a minute. This is not the normal series of events. So he ran to meet them and he uh, implored them and begged them and kept talking till they came in and then he fixed a meal for them and uh, they sat there and there were two purposes that were going on here in this chapter and we got to keep moving here. Well, the first purpose was to announce the coming birth of Isaac through Sarah. Now Sarah heard it and you remember what she did. How many remember what Sarah did? She laughed. She was 89 years old. That's a little past uh, childbearing years. Ladies, amen. Uh, but God said, I'm going to visit you. It says here, the Lord appeared. There were three men. We later find out there were two angels and another man who was called the Lord. That has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I will visit you according to the time of life. And your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah laughed in the tent. Nobody heard her laugh except Jesus. And he said, by the way, Abraham had laughed a couple of chapters earlier. And God said, that's going to be your son's name. God shall laugh. 
God's got a sense of humor, my friends. God is not this... He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. you. You are going to be laughing. And what did Sarah say as she gave birth to the child? She said, everybody's going to laugh with me. And he's 89 years, 90 years old when Isaac was born. That's crazy now, isn't it? And yet, God performed the miracle and Jesus came down. Why was this so important to merit a personal visit from the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Abraham and Sarah had already conspired to produce a child using Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. That was not a pleasant thing. That was not a good thing. That was not done right. God did not approve. Because the entire history of the human race, if this child that was going to be born was going to bless all the families of the earth, that's what God had promised him, Abraham would have to have a son. Otherwise, we have a break at the first generation and nothing happens. God always keeps His Word. And He will make you wait a little longer than you think so most of the time. Because He wants your faith to be in His Word and not in yourself. And not in your own effort. And God came down and He personally corrected this. The other thing that God did in this chapter, if you'll read all the way through, He says in verse 17, I believe it is, uh, Yes, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Jesus had come down personally to inspect Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus already know what was going on in those cities? Was this an investigatory report that God said, Well, I can't see through the cloud, so Jesus, have I take a couple of angels and check it out? No. See, he had a job to do. Number one, he gave Abraham a chance, an opportunity to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. The God of the Bible is not interested in destroying souls. If you would listen, and I don't know if you read the Baptist Times, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, there was a fantastic article in the the one here written by Brother Josh Merrill uh, about people comparing the God of the Old Testament to the God of the New Testament and how he was a God of judgment. And, and Brother Merrill says in his article there, he says, do not engage in that debate because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament And any perceived differences are all on our account. Don't argue with people about it. Don't don't give them that ground. Say, listen, we don't argue about God because He is. We're we're not here to evaluate God or to 
assassinate his character as so many people. And he mentions some book that was never uh, that was written. That uh, and I, I'll tell you, if a book like that can overthrow your faith, you do not have very much faith. You need to understand something. If you're going to have faith, you must believe that God is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you can't believe that, then you're in danger of of never being saved. You say, well, how in the world can can I get that? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to get into this book. You've got to understand that... What was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah was beyond your and mine imagination. And don't try to figure it out, all right? Uh, there, There is a reason why the term sodomite has found its way into our modern legal system. Uh, Of course, it has now been removed because it is no longer uh, a crime against humanity, but at one time it was. Because that's what went on in Sodom and Gomorrah. God knew that. But Jesus Christ left heaven's glory, appeared to Abraham, and gave Abraham an opportunity to intercede and pray for the souls of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. See, God's not interested in destroying souls. But God's judgment comes upon all who refuse His grace and His glory. And the story, Abraham says, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Now, look what it says here. Verse 32, this is Abraham, and he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Preadventure ten shall be found there. And he said, Jesus said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And look at verse 33, this is the key. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Jesus already knew what Abraham's prayer was going to be. And he wasn't going to let Abraham take it down to one. He wasn't going to let Abraham take that number so low that the cities would be spared. Because that wasn't God's plan. But he let Abraham get all the way down to ten. Now, you stop and think about this. Here, Abraham is having a direct face-to-face prayer with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts out with 50. And then he gets thinking about Lot. And he says, 45. And he thinks a little more. And he thinks about all the wickedness that he has heard that goes on in that city. And he finally arrives at a number of 10. And we know that we had... Mr. Lot and Mrs. Lot and two daughters living in his house. And Lot went out to the other daughters that he had and the son-in-laws that he had in the city 
there. And so that number of ten should have been a very easy attainment by Lot if he had only kept his own family. But he didn't. But what did God do? The angels grabbed a hold of Lot and the two daughters that were with him and his wife and literally dragged them out of the city of Sodom and set them on the path to the city of Zor. And Mrs. Lot turned around after the fire fell and she became a pillar of salt. Archaeologists believe they have located the actual foundations of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and they are at the bottom of the Red Sea. I mean the Dead Sea. The lowest place, the lowest uh, elevation on planet Earth. The only thing that lives there today is bacteria. And there are salt formations that are around and they have a specific one that actually kind of looks like a little person standing there. And they say that's the pillar of Lot's wife. Now, that's uh, totally ungrounded and I can almost guarantee you untrue because geography changes over time periods. And it would be hard to imagine that that one little salt formation would remain unchanged uh, all these thousands of years. So, But people will do their their thing, but God gave Abraham, when he woke up the next morning and saw the fires and the smoke ascending as a great furnace from the cities of the plain, he could look toward God and said, we did everything we could to stop that from happening. And Peter said, and delivered just Lot in the New Testament. God knows how to deliver the godly. And and using that term toward Lot is amazing to me. Because Lot was not what we would consider a moral man in any stretch. And his family rearing efforts were an abysmal failure. But see, when God saves you, He's the one that makes you righteous. He's the one that makes you just. And Jesus came down to talk to Abraham to give him an opportunity to pray for the people of Sodom. The only comfort you can have if you have someone you know, someone that you care about that refuses the gospel of Jesus Christ, Follow Abraham's example. Pray for them, would you? And if God gives you opportunity, give them the gospel. Don't just tell them your testimony. Give them scripture. The answer is in the Bible. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If nothing else, just write out in your own handwriting, print John 3.16 on a sheet of paper, and leave it in the house. They'll read it. They might get mad at you, but they'll read it. And then get another sheet of paper and leave it there with Romans 3.20 on it and 3.23 and and Romans 6.23 and Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. Maybe split that one up on two or three pages. Hey, do what you can to get the gospel out. That's what Abraham did. 
And Jesus honored that by a personal appearance. Are we together on that? Are we learning a little bit about the character of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are, are, we, are you able to see His love and His graciousness here? God was going to keep His word. And even though uh, Abraham and Sarah had disobeyed and literally blasphemed the promise of God by uh, coming up with an immoral relationship and producing Ishmael out of a forced relationship with the servant, God still honored His word. He always will. God will never transgress His Word. You want to learn about Jesus, you've got to get into this book called the Bible. God is concerned. It says He has exalted His Word above His very name. We can learn about Jesus. And you know what? That's point one in a several point sermon here. And our time is up. So maybe we'll just uh, pick up here, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday morning or Sunday night as the Lord leads there. We, we need to learn about Jesus. We need to know about Him. This isn't a pleasant story. But I'll tell you, when Abraham woke up the next morning and saw the smoke of the great furnace ascending and filling the sky over the cities of Sodom. He saw it. He said, there must not have been ten. But God and I have done everything that we can to avert God's judgment. You cannot stop God's judgment from coming. But what you can do is pray. Amen? What you can do is share the gospel. What you can do is understand that God will always keep His Word. That is the first of what we would call a theophany, a a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Like I said, we're not going to do every one. I had three others uh, in my notes, and uh, we'll try to pick those up. And each one will teach us a little bit more about who Jesus is and what is important to God. You know, you can know an awful lot about a person by what's important to them. Isn't that true? If someone were to tell you the most important thing in their life or their most valuable possession was a set of Beatles albums from the 1960s, would that not tell you certain things about that person? Hello? It it would. Uh, I'm going to be honest. As far as I'm concerned, nothing good. But it would tell me an awful lot about that person. How important is this book to you? How important is getting to know Jesus? Learn about Him. What is... It was so important to Jesus to make sure Abraham understood that God always keeps His word, that Jesus came down personally to talk to him about it. 
Hello? Are you seeing that? Are you grabbing a hold of that? And Jesus loves souls, even those that rebel against Him enough to encourage Abraham into this long, elaborate prayer. And even to this day, we use a phrase. Uh, you ever heard the phrase, Jew somebody down? How many of you have heard that phrase? I mean, that's, that's common usage. It comes from this passage. That's exactly what Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, did. He kept taking God down. One more step, one more step, one more step, one more step. You see, God wants to comfort us in knowing that He has done everything possible for every soul to be saved. Now, there's things that we're supposed to do. Abraham prayed, right? He gives us commands in the New Testament to witness. And and we need to be faithful with those things. And then we can have confidence, even as God's judgment falls, in God's goodness and His grace and God's love, even toward those who want to have nothing to do with Him. All God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this night. We ask that we would see a greater vision of Jesus and who He is and His great love. And we ask that you would help us to walk in his service through this coming week. Before we finish that prayer, if you need to slip out and spend a few moments, the altar's open. And then we'll get into our actual prayer time tonight. All God's people said, amen. All right, take your prayer list if you would. And uh, today is the third Sunday. Wow, September.